All right, I'm going to back it up. All right, I'm going to back it up. Back it up. Hey, y'all, wake up from that candy coma. Halloween is over. It's officially All Saints Day, and it's time for Midnight Theology, the late-night ponderings of four pastor friends. I'm your host, Sarah Wank, and I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hello. Larry Frank. What's up? And our very special guest today, George Acevedo. Howdy. Hey, Adam is off this month, and we'll miss him with us today, but I think we're going to have a good time together this morning. Tonight. What is what is midnight? Is it considered this morning or or tonight? I, just, I think we just go back to I think we're going to have a good time. I think we're yeah. going to have a good time. It, it, it is what it is. Midnight, morning, doesn't matter. Is it There's morning, coffee involved it and it's going to be good. I guess it it's morning or night depending on if you stayed awake or if you woke up. Do you know what I mean? Uh, then it's yeah. it's either a first or a last, but well, as Halloween wrapped up, um, I am sure that you had a moment where you uh, enjoyed your favorite candy of the season, you know, where we do that thing where we purchase the Halloween candy and stash a little way for ourselves, or we raid our children's trick-or-treat buckets. Parent so tax. what is it for you guys? What's your uh, parent tax candy of the season? Ooh, I think for me this year it was a hundred grand. Uh, we bought a big, uh, That's a good big, one. big mix of candy for our church's trunk retreat, and I noticed that none of the kids were taking hundred grand, uh, and I rediscovered my love for them. So the parent tax this year was hundred grand. Nice. They just nice. don't know yet. They don't. They don't right. know that that's a superior candy. Yeah. yeah. I'm a sucker for a Heath bar or a Snickers. Good. That's good. Yeah. George, what about you, man? Yes. I'm, I'm an empty nester. We're empty nesters. So, like, we'll go buy candy on Halloween afternoon, give it all away. That'll be it. Do you, no pop, you don't pop a few in between? I try Sneak not to. Well, I mean, I'm such I'm a like good a, boy. No, that's not really true. I mean, I like, <laughs> I like a, a, I mean, like, I, I'll bite your arm off for, for a, one of them small baby Ruth bar. <laughs> baby Ruth. Yeah. It's got to be a small one. You don't see him very often, no. little baby Ruths. No. Mm-mm. You know, I have to say, um, we have discovered a new candy. Um, it was not in any of the trick or treat candy um, supplies this year. It was introduced to us by a good friend named Megan Honig, and they are called Nerds Dots. <gasps> And they're it's awesome. like if you took a nerd's rope and you cut it into tiny pieces and they're like crunchy and chewy and sweet and sour and they're really hard to find. So if you come across a nerd's dot, consider yourself lucky. They're they good. are good, but your addiction to them is a kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I have to admit, I lean to the fruity candy, the chewy fruity candy like Starburst and Skittles. So I'm not surprised that that's up my alley. We have a group for you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Consider that a, a addiction or codependency. Either one is fine with me. <laughs> so today we're going to pick up kind of where we left off in the last episode and sharing about grief. Uh, today we're going to move that topic a little bit more into lament. Lament is this healthy expression of grief or sorrow or even anger over loss. Um, and often as Christians, we kind of gloss right over uh, the need and the place for lament. Uh, Larry, you had a moment of lament after New Room this year, um, earlier in the fall, that turned into a blog post that kind of um, blew up in a good way. And uh, I was hoping you'd tell us a little bit about both the post and uh, your uh, people's response to it. Yeah, so uh, we were we were all at New Room uh, together. Uh, New Room, something that um, we talked about in the last episode that uh, we all really look forward to. Uh, we've been going for several years now, um, and uh, I was able to take uh, one of my staff and their spouse, uh, and it just felt different this time. Like usually, New Room is this very joyful thing, and I'm hugging a bunch of necks that, that I haven't seen in a year and things like that. Um, and it just felt different for me. Like all of the, all the invitations and altar calls, I stayed right in my seat. Uh, and then I had this moment on uh, Thursday morning where I was sitting there and like you and Gabe were a couple rows in front of me. George, you were a few rows behind me. I had uh, 
uh, folks from my church sitting right next to me and there's 2000 people in this room and I just felt utterly alone and I, I, mm. I couldn't describe why, um, couldn't put a finger on why. Um, and then Thursday night's always the big worship service, right. And, uh, and, and prayer service and, um, uh, people were, were going hard at it. It was fun watching, uh, watching people. Uh, I was singing along. Um, but I, I just, uh, I wasn't in the same headspace that I normally am. Uh, and after we sang Graves to Gardens, uh, Mark Swayze did his Mark Swayze thing, right? And starts uh, starts calling people in. Um, mm. And he said, you know, we sing a lot about Graves to Gardens, but we've skipped past the grave. And there's a lot of graves here in this room that need to be addressed. And maybe your grave tonight, something to the effect of, is to ask God why. Uh, and this wave of lament hit me in, in a freedom to ask why um, over all sorts of losses that, that I've personally experienced over the course of the pandemic or even longer than that. Um, it's just, just so many things calling out why in, in grief and in anger, um, uh, just kind of living in that spot and finding the worshipfulness in the midst of of lament. Um, so I stayed up late that night and, and wrote a post on my website. There's about a thousand unpublished uh, posts on my website. It's just cathartic to, to write. I did post that one uh, and it blew up. Um, I, I've had uh, pastors in other countries that I don't know messaging me saying I felt so much like quitting uh, over, over the last year or so. Um, and uh, folks in my church uh, messaging me, naming their losses, um, and, and I just—it's it, occurred to me, and I've just been living in this space of of lament that we try to rush past lament. We we try to find the easy answers, and and get into places where we can move past it because we want to get back to the mountaintop or whatever. But God is is still God in the valley, uh, and I just had coffee with someone uh, last week. Um, from from my church, uh, who was naming a lot of their losses, uh, and I said, my fear for you, and it's my fear for me, it's my fear for the church, is that we're going to rush this moment that we're in. That that lament is a gift to us; it's a gift to the church. Um, that we're going to rush it and just try to find those easy answers and move past it, um, whether that's personal griefs or what God might be trying to to teach the church. Uh, in the midst of the pandemic or the political division we find ourselves in, um, that we need to name, name those laments and, and, and call them out and, and, and allow that rawness to happen before the Lord in, in calling those out. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've been with that. You can check out the, the post on, on my website and we'll, we'll have Adam Lincoln in there. Um, but it's just kind of the space I've been living in is, is worried that we're trying to rush the moment um, mm-hmm. that we're in. And, and George, you posted on your Facebook uh, about this practice of lament uh, and what it means. You framed it in terms of Job 10. I think it was based on another podcast that, uh, that you had listened to. And you've kind of been my, my Yoda, my guru on so many things, but uh, we've talked a lot about uh, lament. So I was just wondering if you'd uh, talk to us a bit about lament. But before you do that, would you take a minute to introduce yourself to uh, our listeners who maybe don't know who you are, uh, to share a little bit about yourself and then, uh, and then kind of uh, walk us through this, this practice of lament? Sure, sure. Well, um, I think I'm first and foremost a follower of Jesus um, for 42 years. Um, married to my uh, youth group sweetheart uh, this Thanksgiving, 40 years. Wow. Hard to believe, 40 years. Um, and we have two adult kids, uh, four grandkids. Um, if you know anything about me, I love barbecue and my four grandbabies. Um I am the lead pastor uh, right now, actually the co-lead pastor uh, at Grace Church. Uh, We're a multi-site United Methodist congregation in Southwest Florida, and I've been privileged to serve here uh, for 25 years. So it's a long time in one space and um, have just announced this summer that uh, in two, two summers from now, I'll be stepping into a new ministry, feeling a calling to do some new things in the last quarter of my life. And so I'm going to do that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. And I would, I would say that um, like so many of us, 
I would call myself allergic to lament. Um, mm. I, um, I, I, I kind of, I, I would say I have a visceral response to, to lament. Um, it, you know, I break out and um, I just, I would rather do just about anything uh, than lament. Mm. Um, I would rather fast and go to the gym um, and yet, um, I've, I've found that, um, that I'm a, I'm a human and I have limits and, um, those aren't things I always embraced, um, mm -hmm. that I'm a human and that I have limits. Um, and part of the limits is that I get impacted, um, by loss and sadness and grief. And so, you know, what I think a lot of us do, we've heard of compounded interest. I think what a lot of us do is we compound our grief and our loss. Um, and we kind of let it stack until we have our new room moment, Larry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Where, you know, in this kind of convergence of, you know, how the Holy Spirit works and how free will works and circumstances work, um, the dam breaks. And we find ourselves in the fetal position, you know, kind of sucking our thumbs and snot coming out of every orifice in our body, you know. And, um, um, you know, for some of us, it happens in a therapist's office. Uh, for some of us, it happens while I was preaching, which is scary. Um, it was at the last service, and I lost it. And fortunately, one of my dearest friends who was on staff was on the front row, kind of came up and kind of helped me get my soul back together. Fortunately, I serve in a congregation where um, we have a high value on vulnerability. And I was able to share that I was sad. You know, I was sad. And um, uh, it was in the season when my son was at his worst at his addictions. And so I was sad. You know, um, in that season of my life, Larry and gang, I I had to stand up and preach a gospel um, that I wasn't experiencing at home. Mm. You know, I had to declare what I knew to be true, even though what I was experiencing pushed against everything that I know is true and right and good about God and the world. So, yeah, lament is something that... Um, that in spite of our allergy towards it, um, we, we have to come face to face with it. Yeah. If we, if we don't cut, if, if, if we keep compounding that and we decide to rush past it or not engage in it, I mean, what's, um, what happens to us if we choose not to, like, we're not going to enter into this and, we're just gonna, we're just gonna kind of gloss over it. Yeah, I can't remember the psalm, um, but it's one of the ones we all like to go to. You know, about our our bones rotting and our insides getting turned inside out, and all of those kinds of things. I think that's what happens to us. I, I think uh, we deteriorate. Um, I'm a big student of kind of the. Dallas Willard, John Ortberg stream um, mm -hmm. of spirituality and spiritual formation. And I love what John Ortberg says in Soul Keeping, that um, our soul is not kind of the center of who we are. Our soul is the glue that keeps our will. We have free will, but it has limits. Our mind, which is our emotions and our thoughts, they have limits. And these little battery packs that we call our bodies, they have limits. And the soul is what keeps all of that together. So when we ask, how is it with your soul? It's all of that. You know, you guys know that I'm getting ready to have knee surgery. Just had a procedure last week. And thank God I'm sitting because I'm hobbling because my body is betraying me. Uh, I'm 61 years old and I got to get a knee replacement. My body is betraying me uh, because in many ways I've betrayed my body over the years with athletics and all kinds of things, overeating, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, so, um, you, you remember the old commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later? <laughs> oh, 
When it comes to this thing of lament, we can either pay it now or pay it later. Now, the thing I love about our Jewish brothers and sisters is it seems that they built in lament into the seasons of their life. Yeah. It was built into the festivals. It was built into the offerings. I I had the thought in preparation for today that so many of the Psalms of lament, uh, I'm sorry, Psalms of ascent, when they were making their way to walk as pilgrims, ironically, they walked, they didn't run. They walked as pilgrims. Um, as they made their way up to the Mount Zion, and it was an upward climb, so many of those psalms of ascent are laments. Mm. And so as they're going to worship, they're lamenting. Mm. And, and one of the things that I've learned about lament is that lament is unbridled. Mm. It's just unbridled. My um, the, the four of us happen to all be graduates of uh, Asbury Theological Seminary, and when I went there back when the Earth was cooling, um, the uh, my very first class was a class called um, Introduction to Pastoral Care, five hundred level course, big class, you know, several dozens of students, close to a hundred, and the very first lecture was from a, a small little Irish Roman Catholic priest, and he talked about how he walks with his clients his patients through lament, particularly the family members of those who are dying in the hospice house. And he said that, um, he said, I encourage the family members to be my language unbridled in their lament before God. And he said in his beautiful Irish accent, I can't do it. I'll sound like the lucky charms guy. If I did, he, he, he said, um, he said, and sometimes they actually uh, cuss. And some self-righteous young seminarian, 20-something-year-old, <laughs> raised his hands and said, are you saying it's okay to curse before God? And in his beautiful Irish accent, he said, well, I think he can handle it, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I do think that God can handle it. Um, this morning, my reading, my Bible reading, I read uh, through the Old Testament once and New Testament twice in a year. Uh, it's a Bible reading program we're on in our church. And our Bible reading program this morning uh, serendipitously was um, Job, you know, lamenting before his friends and before God. And and lament in the Bible except for one of the lamentations in Psalms. There's only one, and I'm glad there is still one in there. All of the laments end in doxology. Mm, yeah. Except for one. Now I'm glad that there's one because there's one because sometimes sometimes there's crap we go through that we can't get to doxology, but we can still hold it and still praise him. Yeah. But, yeah. but there's the rest of them, the rest of the Psalms of Lament eventually get to okay, God, I've unburdened myself. I'm going to put my hope in you. My hope's in you. You've proven yourself. Mm. You know, you've proven yourself. Or they get to a place where they say, even though I can't see it, I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. And I would say, um, you know, my story is that um, I have two big lament issues that have been at work other than my uh, family of origin stuff. And I ain't going to talk about that with you. Guys right now. <laughs> uh, but I'm talking about in my adult life. It's been the 15-year journey with my youngest son through his addictions. And um, you three know that um, my, my precious son, Nathan, has struggled with an addiction to oxycodone. Um, by the grace of God, he's been sober for four years. But for 15 years, previous to the last four, Cheryl and I never knew when the phone rang that it wasn't going to be that he was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been homeless. He's had these suicide attempts. And all the while, mind you, uh, particularly in the early days of it, um, I'm pastoring the fastest growing United Methodist Church in America. So, you know, I'm experiencing ministerial success that most of us could only dream of. And at the same time, back home, it is a shitstorm. Can I say that on this podcast? You, you just, just did. did. Just he did. can handle it. 
Yeah, yeah. he can handle he it. Can handle it. <laughs> it's a shit storm. <laughs> it's a shit storm. Mm-hmm. So that was like this 15 years of protracted loss and sadness and sorrow and heartache and frankly, horror. Yeah. I mean, all of you all are parents. I want you to think of those babies that you love. And that's my baby. He's my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, he's tatted up. He's got hair down to his shoulders, but he is my baby. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And then uh, about five years ago, this October, uh, right now, uh, my granddaughter was r- run over by my daughter-in-law and um, was airlifted. And I call that the 15 years in a second. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of sadness and lament and and sorrow and and we have seen God turn that sorrow into joy, um, as my grandbaby was you know seven days later walked out of the hospital, miraculously healed, um, wow. and my daughter-in-law and son-in-law, uh, my daughter-in-law and son are deeply in love. She's left her job to pursue ministry. She's a student in seminary now. And so God has turned our lament into, into joy, um, but you got to lament it. And we have lamented that, you know, every time I look at my little Zoe and her, her little eyes are crooked because what broke was her orbital um, right around the eyeballs, the orbital bones. And so they're a little crooked. And every time I look at my precious little girl, I'm reminded of this season that we walked through. And yet here's what I know. My favorite Old Testament character is Jacob. Mm-hmm. And, and I love Jacob at the River Jabbok. When yes, he wrestles yeah. with God, he walks away with a limp. And the reason I've been able to stay in the same church for 25 years and stay in ministry now for 35 is because God has helped me name my limp and walk with it. Mm-hmm. And um, our limp, mind you, and I'm getting into ministry, but our limp becomes the the conduit through which God uses us. Mm-hmm. Not, yes. not, our, not our virtue, not our strengths, not our preaching capacity, you know, not the books that I've written. All of those things are scubala. They're crap. They're, they're you know, they're okay. But what God actually uses is our limp. Mm-hmm. And you got to name the limp. And we live in a culture, mind you, and you guys are Midwesterners. Midwesterners don't name their limp. Yeah. I'm married to a Midwesterner. Cheryl's greatest, <laughs> her greatest terror, she told me in the early days, was when I would share our lament with our congregation. Because mm-hmm. she said, we don't, we don't talk about those things. Mm-hmm. That's the Midwestern North American way. You keep that's family business, you know, mm-hmm. and you keep that stuff inside. And 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 I believe we do that to our own detriment. We compound our lament. And uh, that's part of what um, I think we all believe. But um, Gabe and I, especially after our our first set of miscarriages, and then now in Bristol's death is that God uses our our limps, our, our stories, um, as the mode in which redemption will happen, right? Um, and, and so, we recognized early on that in order for us to experience redemption or some sort of um, wholeness isn't the right word, but a, 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 a awakening, a, a putting back together some sort of beauty from the ashes, um, that that can only happen if you share the story, right? If you share the um, the vulnerabilities, that if you keep them hidden, then how is God supposed to use them? And I and I think that's part of why we see um, so many folks resonate with uh, Bristol story or Larry with your blog post, right? Uh, you're putting we're putting words to things that other people are experiencing. And it allows them to then experience redemption in them um, as, as they can identify um, with what you're going through. I know there was a season for pastors in ministry where you were told uh, to not be vulnerable from the pulpit, 
right? Um, that that was not the place to share your personal stories and you needed to be academic and professional and they couldn't see your weakness because if your congregation saw your weakness, then they wouldn't respect you, right, as, as leader. And thank the Lord, I think we're learning that that is um, so far from the truth and that it's actually the place of vulnerability yeah. and authenticity that helps people connect in such a way that makes them want to walk with you in faith. Yeah. Um, So I'm really glad that that um, time has passed (laughs) and that that we can be people um, of vulnerability. Yeah, Larry, when you're naming in your blog, right, like I'm grieving uh, time missed with family, right? I'm grieving this, I'm grieving that. It it opened a door for people to go, yes, Mm -hmm. where they could name their grief too. And that's been part of the blessing of it is people who've been given permission to name theirs. My fear that comes out of that, that I talked about with rushing it, is that some people that came up to me or messaged me and said, oh, I didn't know you were so depressed. (laughs) I I didn't say that. I'm I'm naming in an uncensored, unbridled, to borrow George's language, uh, way what I need to name before the Lord. And then I had other people on the flip side come up to me and say, I'm so glad you, you're you out of the grave. You've, you found your joy again. <laughs> and, and I think our tendency is either to push those things down and, and compound them or try to just rush right past them and try to find easy answers. And we don't find easy answers in a lot of the cultural moments we're in and a lot of the personal situations we're in. There are no easy answers apart from the grace of God. Yeah. Uh, and, and it requires us to live in that space. You know, I've been wrestling with a question over many years about why we don't allow ourselves to feel, right? That's really what this is. Lament is allowing yourself to grieve, to hurt, um, to be frustrated or angry or disappointed or whatever the the emotion is. Um, Some very dear friends of ours that we mentioned in our story uh, in the last episode um, operate a funeral home um, uh, in central Illinois. And as pastors, we um, work regularly with our local funeral homes. And I don't know about you, but um, but we have noticed a change in community um, where people don't want to have funeral services. Uh, they don't want visitation services. They don't want to yeah. grieve. And they're, they're sort of truncating the experience of death. Um, I am often in conversation with our friend and, and how surprised we are at the number of people who will just essentially sort of drop grandma off for cremation and then pick her up and take her home. And there's no process, right, of grief um, in there for them as a family or for the community. And I ask the question to myself in that, is that because is it because they don't want to or is it because they don't know how? And I'm wondering if after decades and um, and centuries of our white Western American culture, if, um, if we have not equipped generation after generation to lament, they literally don't, they don't know how to grieve, right? Um, and so, if they don't know how, then how do we expect them to do so properly? So, so we're having to exemplify it again that in a way that teaches people. I mean, the only uh, cultural experience, uh, a non-religious experience, the liturgy of sports, uh, the grief and the lament uh, in sports comes when uh, the winner wins and, and, and your team didn't win. You just get mad and start throwing sticks and stones uh, at the other team, the coaches, your own coaches. You pitch your players, you trade up, you trade out. I mean, right, Larry? Am I right? Uh, the cultural I've been, liturgy. I've been, I've been known to throw things at the television, yes. <laughs> I mean, so outside of the religiosity, outside of the relationship with God, the the teaching of the word and how the biblical example of lament has been passed down from generation to generation, if the world isn't connected at all to this, theologically very immature, infantile, what do they have to lean on? Throwing stuff at TVs. That's what, yeah. yeah. And we've we've lost that cultural liturgy of it, even with what Sarah just said about funerals, even our language around that. It's it's a celebration of life. That's what we call it now. Where if you want to get liturgical about it, the book of worship says it's a service of death and resurrection. The celebration's there. The hope is there, but you got to walk through the grief first. And I remember in CPE, uh, they talked about, entering into mutual pretense with somebody like when you go and tell a family that someone has died to avoid softening it 
you know, mm-hmm. to, al- to welcome them into, welcome them into the grief. Don't walk in the room and say, oh, they're in a better place. They've passed on. Just name it. They died. Yeah. You, you know, uh, and that, yeah. sometimes that's the, that's the pull of the scab to allow the, the grief to begin. Yeah. yeah my daddy was big on him. You don't, you don't say, uh, he didn't even like the, as a pastor, he didn't like the word they passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't say they uh, passed yeah. away. Say they died. They died. That's what happened. Right. Uh, but we, yeah, we soften the language, you know, they passed away. They're not with us anymore. Um, <laughs> although I do have to laugh in our conference here in the Methodist church and we get notified uh, when a pastor, a, a clergy person or their spouse passes away and we get death notice <laughs> in the mail. That's how it comes to us. But most often in the world, it is, there's a softening to it that makes us have to disconnect from the, the reality of it, right? The truth. When my grandpa Stevens died in the nursing home, the nurse called and said that he expired. <laughs> so oh my he was like, like he was canned goods or something. That's one George, way. George, we cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, no, go ahead. So you guys know that I've I've traveled quite a bit to to uh, Europe and um, particularly England. I've led lots of um, pastors through a, a, a spiritual experience, uh, tracing the life of Wesley's, and I did not know that. Um, one of the reasons why graveyards are at the entrance of the church and often in the church, of course, the crypts in the church is it is that stark reminder that you are, you are dust. And it's, yeah. it's you know, how do we get to resurrection? Well, we got to walk through death. And yet how ironic that, you know, our European way has kind of uh, gone full circle where we've uh, sterilized our churches, you know, um, we've, we've, you know, we would, we would think gross to stand on somebody's grave mm-hmm. while we worship. And yet, you know, holding in tension, the reality of death and sorrow and loss. And, you know, we, we can, we can put all of this stuff into grandma died but, you know, I can suggest to you that there are things more painful than death. Yes. Oh, yeah. There, there are things that, for me, death doesn't scare me. Life scares the crud out of me. You know, <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's, it's life that hurts. And, and, uh, and it's the losses in life. I mean, let me be frank. I've been in the same church for 25 years, and through this uh, pandemic racism, uh, political contention. Yeah. I've lost friends who I yeah. led to Jesus, baptized, discipled, you know, walked through their dar- marriage, discord, and all the rest. And those laments um, challenge mm-hmm. um, the laments of, of the deaths that I've journeyed yeah. through that have been painful. Now, I want to say this, too, because I'll, I'll forget it if I don't because I'm old. Um, <laughs> to Sarah's point around the issue of, you know, um, hopefully we've come past the day where we think it's wrong for a pastor to share his or her lament. I also think there's there's a guardrail. And, Absolutely. Uh, the, I heard one guy one time say, the guardrail about what you share is, is this for the glory of God? Or is this for the glory of George? That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, cause sometimes, cause I've seen it and this is not a generational thing, but I've seen pastors dump their junk mm-hmm. and it wasn't about helping anybody except. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I often say it, you shouldn't even consider sharing it unless you're on the redemption side of it. Right. Absolutely. So, so sharing your vulnerability when you're in it, right? Like, oh, I'm I'm overwhelmed, I'm lost, I'm in despair, blah blah blah. That uh, that would be so inappropriate, right? As a spiritual leader, um, so you share it for the glory of God when you're seeing the redemption on the other mm-hmm. side of it, right? Yeah. Um, or when you're at least together enough to say this is where God has been good in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's therapy. And that is an abuse of the pulpit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that you've got to have 
you're sharing the vulnerability to get to point them to where the hope is, where the resurrection is coming, where the redemption is. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, we were together. Uh, well, not Gabe, poor Gabe. <laughs> Larry and George and I were together in class in uh, in South Florida. Gabe was here holding down the fort. They, they can't see you crying, Gabe. It's a, it's a, it's a podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm mushing my index and thumb together, just you know, making that smallest of uh, violin. Violin. Yeah. Very descriptive. You, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we were in a, a time of prayer together with some other classmates, and and uh, in the in the time of prayer. Uh, we sort of got this picture of a seed returning to the earth, right? And and scripture goes here about uh, death being like this, right? In order, uh, in order for the, a plant to grow or to have life, the seed has to go into the earth, and the seed is experiencing a little grave, right? Um, it is, mm-hmm. it's experiencing the darkness and the suffocation and the um, kind of putting to bed of dying to itself, right, in order uh, for life to come from it. And so, um, lament is done well when it has the hope of what is to come, but Mm -hmm. not without skipping the part of the processes that happen in the darkness of the earth and the darkness of the grave. Um, Actually, so at at New Room Conference, I was having a conversation with Jessica Legrone, and she shared this beautiful piece with me. She said she's been, uh, she had been hearing God say, um, reminding her of the moments at, where Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she just got this visual of he wasn't in the joy. The joy was set out there before mm-hmm. him, right? So he was, his life was this lament, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was not yet going to attain the joy, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. within reach for him. It was before him. And so, the um, the endurance and the waiting and the, the season of liminal spaces and tensions that's necessary, but you're doing it for the joy that's possible, right? Mm-hmm. For the redemption that can come. Um, and we're, honestly, we're just not good mm-hmm. at the waiting piece, right? The tension yeah. of waiting. Yeah. Paul was saying that too, uh, George, the, the verse you referenced earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Mm-hmm. It's for the sake of Christ that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. And as you were talking about, George, Paul owned his, his dirt. Paul owned mm-hmm. his humanity. Paul owned his vulnerability. And, he, he, and, and somehow Christ and the power of Christ works through the grave to the resurrection mm-hmm. and to the ascension. And somehow we are living that too. Yeah. You, can, you can be there in the grave, but there, there's a hopefulness of, of glory in the grave. I, I don't remember how it came up, but just in the last week, I um, someone reshared with me the last speech that Dr. King gave. And when when you look at him, this is a man who's in the midst of his just worn out, beaten down. Um, You can see it in his eyes, and he says, "I may not get there with you prophetically," but he says, "We as a people." will get to the other side. I mean, so that even in the midst of that, there's yeah. this, 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 this hopefulness of, I, I can't yeah. feel it yet. I can't touch it when I'm walking through these seasons of lament and unbridled grief and loss before God. I can't, I, I maybe I can't fully see it. I can't touch it, but I know yeah. it's there. And if it's going to happen, my hope is in him alone. Mm-hmm. Over and over in Scripture, we see that uh, through Job, through the Psalms, through David, and, and his laments and his crying out to God, and Psalm 32, which you referenced earlier, George. Uh, you know, it's it's what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. And that verse that you referenced was, uh, "When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long." Uh, and yet, there's 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 joy in the morning with forgiveness and redemption. And David. Uh, over and over through the psalm, Psalm 56, Psalm 57, he cries out back and forth, uh, phrase to phrase, 
praising God, giving glory to God, and then crying out to to send rescue uh, in the midst of calamity and lions and people trying to devour him and pursue him and kill him, and yet he's exalting God in the midst of his lament. Yeah, that's good. Sarah and I find ourselves in those places uh, in life and ministry. I think, I think every human on the planet finds themselves in those places if they're willing to recognize it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, Larry. I think the 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 value to connect what what Gabe just said to what you first wrote uh, in your blog. I think the the piece that we need, don't need to lose in all of this is the issue of. Um, either trying to to rush past lament. I mean, we can deny it or we can rush past it and just kind of say, well, just get over it. You know, uh, again, your responses that you got from well-intentioned people. Right. Um, but but the truth is sometimes you, you just got to sit in it. You just mm-hmm. you, you just do. And um, and it means you're human with limits. And um, what I know at 61 that I didn't know at 21 is that um, I've got to give myself permission to sit in my lament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, now I'm, I'm not talking about sitting in shame. I'm not talking about sitting right. in self-pity. I'm talking about lament is before the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm a follower of Jesus. Right. Because there are moments that I want to drift towards <clears throat> self-pity. You know, I just want to, everybody feel sorry for me. Um, but Lament is biblical lament is different than the world's lament. Yes. You know, biblical lament is before the Lord. It is with the hope of doxology. Yes. It is with the hope of doxology. And and so um, something our our, our youth pastor, uh, Taylor Brown, preached this weekend. We're we're in uh, the abide text in Acts 15. And he, he reminded us that everything in nature grows slowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing, you know, you don't just plant a seed in the next morning. It, it takes time. And yet, you know, we live with, you know, these devices. Uh, I'm in Southwest Florida. You guys are in Illinois. And, you know, speed and time and distance and all of those things. Um, it's why I think the four of us are so captured by John Mark Comer's work around hurry yep. and uh, the ruthless elimination of it. Um, uh, we follow a rabbi who changed the world at three miles an hour. So, yeah. yeah. You know, um, there's the whole, when the, when the seed is planted, it has to, uh, you know, sometimes have a whole year, right. Of, of time in the ground before it even starts to grow. Yeah. Uh, but here in Illinois, um, the leaves are changing, right? We're deep in the season of fall and even well-established plants and trees once a year, shut everything down, right? Um, mm-hmm. Drop their leaves, go into plant hibernation for lack of better, uh, you know, terminology and rest for a season before they grow again. When you think yeah. about it, they only spend half the year flourishing, right? Thriving. They spend the other half of the year resting and, and restoring. I think, I do think half of the problem is that we've not done a great job of explaining that, as you mentioned earlier, George, that grief is more than death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us walk around, a lot of folks walk around grieving a whole lot of things and they don't have permission or language to grieve those things. That death is one thing, you know, you can still call into work and say, grandma died, I'm not coming in. Um, but um, a, a broken relationship at home um, we don't have grief terminology for that that allows us to talk about it and process it in the same way that um, that grief and death is experienced, meaning the shock, the disappointment, the anger, yeah. right, the sadness, the processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I found that as a pastor, I'm spending a lot of time explaining to people that you can you have the same process of grief for anything that is a disappointment or failure, right? Yeah. Or brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like people didn't know <laughs> that their bodies and minds and spirits would go through the same thing um, over those kinds of um, uh, brokenness in life as it does in, in death. I think they know to expect sadness when people die. Mm-hmm. I don't think they know that they will experience all the same emotion and then some around the loss of a job 
right? Or um, a change in home. Yeah. Um, and so we, and then when we stuff it, you're grieving multiple things simultaneously, you know, probably as an adult, you're grieving all sorts of things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if we don't have language for it, if we don't give permission to it, if we don't name it, um, I also find, I think half the trouble sometimes is that um, we need to be people of lament. We need to be people who grieve, but we're also adults and we can't stop functioning. Right. Like, um, the kids have to wake up and go to school, right? Uh, people expect to be fed. The bills have to be paid. You have to show up to your job. Um, and that part of the tension is how do you grieve and live? I mean, just practically live at the same time. So I don't know if y'all have any thoughts about that, but as you've experienced your own moments in the grave and in, in suffering and uh, in disappointment, how do you find the strength kind of to, to live each day um, and listen to your body at the same time? You know, um, if you're on TikTok, it means this. Uh, there, is a, there is a dog named Noodle the Pug on TikTok. He's a 13-year-old pug. And uh, he, he decides in the morning every day whether he is going to function that day or not when his owner comes to stand him up and take him for his walk and, and he stands him up and the dog either has bones, meaning he decides he's going to stand on his legs and go for a walk, or he doesn't have bones and he kind of like falls back into a puddle of jello and doesn't go for his walk. And it has become a, <laughs> a thermostat for the whole world to say, oh, today is a no bones day, like take care of yourself, call into work, <laughs> uh, you know, have a mental health day, uh, which is great. Uh, but sometimes you have to be together on a no bones day and you've got to function anyway. So um, I don't know if that, if that stirs up anything within you or not, but as Gabe and I continue to grieve mm-hmm. um, and actually you all grieve with us because you're deeply grieving with us. Um, how do you, how do you deal with the tension that you have to keep living your life and keep functioning and allow room for lament? How has that worked out for you? Uh, you, you know, Sarah, I think you're you're onto something. I think the issue is that um, we've not practiced the rhythms of life before we hit lament, so that when we hit it, we don't have the tools. Yes, yeah. So I, I say to people, I, I say to people, what you do during days of peace and serenity will carry you through during through days of conflict and chaos. So COVID comes. And you've heard the saying, Tide went out. We found out he wasn't wearing a bathing suit. <laughs> um, we didn't have the tools. Oops. We didn't have the tools. So what happens? Suicide goes up. Addiction goes up. Everything goes up. Um, because we've violated our humanity. Um, again, the older I get, you know, the more contemplative I get. If we're not Sabbathing, for example. Yeah. If we're not Sabbathing. If we're not creating space and place to be with God regularly and then to cease activity, the word Sabbath means to cease, to to engage in solitude, stillness, silence, whatever you need to do, and it's different for each of us, um, then, then you lose something. Dr. Terry Wardell says you have to grieve a lost pen or a lost person. Mm. Okay, so I think he uses the pen hyperbolically, but, you, you know, we have to grieve stuff. Uh, I'm going to visit a, with a couple whose 13-year-old daughter is, is having suicidal ideations this afternoon. Mm. They're grieving the loss of their dream for their daughter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if they don't have the rhythms built into their life where they're being still before God, where they can lament before God, it just gets compounded mm-hmm. yeah, or denied. And, and then we find ourselves um, grief eating mm-hmm. or, <clears throat> or getting lost in, um, in my propensity is just to veg, just to sit in front mm-hmm. of the TV and just do nothing. Go numb. <laughs> Go numb. Yeah. yeah. Larry, how about That's- you? I, I, I think it's with uh, one of the things that John Mark Homer really kicked my butt on in Ruthless Elim- Elimination of Hurry was that Shabbat, Sabbath, is a verb. It, it, it's not a day that we approach. It's a rhythm, like, like you said, George. And, and what when we build that rhythm in, 
it gives us those tools in the midst of lament, in the midst of hard seasons. It also allows our souls and our bodies to catch up to one another um, mm-hmm. in ways like that, that we don't allow when we're outside of Sabbath thing. So a couple of weeks ago, I had my, my Sabbath day and I've got my usual uh, rhythm that I go into, uh, but Brittany recently went back to work. Um, I found myself in an empty house for the first time. <laughs> I don't know how long, no kids, no, no wife. Oh my around. gosh. It's the best, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was also a little weird too. Um, and what I found I needed that day uh, was I, I had my time with Jesus um, but I also just needed to exist. And I think playfulness is a part of Sabbath that we miss. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. took myself to a movie. I yeah. am not going to a movie by myself in years. And George nice. said, I need to go see the new Bond movie. So I went and saw it. And it was 1115 matinee showing. And it was me and like four 80-year-olds in there. But, buttered popcorn? <laughs> buttered popcorn? Was, I pray. I, but, buttered layered. popcorn, yes. Come layered. On. Layered in there. But I... What and I, I reported this to all of you afterward. I Sabbathed in the verb sense yep. hard. Uh, <laughs> my soul and my body caught up to one another. Uh, and when we when we find ourselves in those rhythms, even if you can just catch five minutes of Sabbathing, because yeah. most of us are really bad at this, it gives us the it equips us with the tools that we need when we find ourselves in these seasons of, of grave and, and yeah. lament because uh, yeah. our body and soul are, are, are already bound up together in a really healthy way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Biblically, uh, dealing with life, continuing on in life comes down to that first simple act uh, where, you know, in your question, Sarah, how do we deal with it and how I'm dealing with it uh, and, and how you're dealing with it. We're doing it together. We're doing it individually as well. And it, it you know, there's, there's all those wonderful, uh, beautiful ideas expressed uh, that you've shared, Larry and George and, and Sarah, but in the simplicity of it all, it comes down to one thing, breathing. God breathed life into us, creating us in his image. And when we stop breathing, we stop living. And when we're we recognizing that each breath is a gift and is an act of praise uh, that can be given back. And, is, and we take that for granted so often until we're in the water struggling for air or feeling like the waves are crashing over us, uh, literally or figuratively. And it's just sometimes, sometimes to just take the next breath, to, to have a reason to take that breath. Mm. Um, it, it's, it becomes very real for those struggling with those suicidal thoughts uh, and, and how to exist, how to uh, you know, roll out of bed or get up off the floor or what have you. Um, it's a breath. Mm. And then recognizing that you're breathing uh, is a is a reflection of the the very nature that God has given you. I'm really glad to hear you say that, Gabe. It brought up a uh, in, in my mind an image of of what I've seen you do several times. You you put your hand on your chest and take a deep breath. And so so you're 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 talking about something that I've seen you do, uh, yeah. and I, I hope that's helpful for uh, for others as well. So, hey, listen, I think we could go on about this forever. Um, and uh, I think George is probably going to be a frequent guest, um, <laughs> mostly because he's our, you know, he's our guru um, in this and, uh, and very dear to, uh, to all of us. Um, let, let's have a little fun for a minute and then uh, we're going to get out of here. Otherwise, we're going to be right up against like an hour and a half or something like that. And people are going to stop listening. Because um, we really like talking to each other. We do. I mean, and, and that's what I hear back from people is like, that listen to the podcast, you guys really like each other. Like we do, we do life together. We do. Oh, yeah. So, Hey, we're just on the other side of, of, of Halloween. It's November 1st. Um, and, uh, candy put out a thing a couple weeks ago. They were talking about Halloween spending, what the projections were, were going to be. Um, they estimated that this year, candy decorations, the costumes, the whole bit that people would spend $10 billion in the United States on Halloween, that's a 26% increase over last year. Hollow, just Halloween candy 
accounts for about $3 billion of, of that. That's a 20% increase over last year and a 10% increase over the previous all-time high. We like our candy. So they also put up this fun interactive map, and if I show it to you, it'll give everything away, um, of each state in the United States, their top three uh, candies uh, by state. So uh, we're going to pop around the map a little bit and see if you can figure out who's what. I'm just going to say up front, I'm embarrassed to live in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> Sour Patch Kids is number one. You can like that kind of candy all you want, Sarah, but that is not no, something no, no, you no. put number one on your list. That's no. not number one. My dad was addicted to Sour Patch Kids, but they are not my jam. So I'm with you. Yeah. So Illinois was Sour Patch Kids followed by Kit Kat and then Starburst. Um, Let's, yeah, let's I'll, take, to, I'll take two and three. You got let's, a Pennsylvania yeah. in there. Let's pop down to Florida since that's where 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 George is at. What do you what do you think their number one is? Watch Much better than Illinois. No, Florida. Yeah, Florida. That's got to be something sugary and sweet. I don't know. Well, they all they're all it's candy. They're all sugary and sweet. Well, but I meant like like uh, when I'm. <laughs> When I'm in Florida, I just want Cuban coffee. That is my candy. So I got to think harder. So the, the, the top Halloween candy in Florida this year is Reese's peanut butter cups. Okay. Yeah. Followed that, by that jives. Followed by Skittles and Starburst. Skittles was the Skittles previous number one in Florida. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. So Gabe wanted PA. What do you think, Gabe? That's got to be a Hershey chocolate bar. It is a Hershey mini bar. There we go. <laughs> followed, followed by M&M's and Skittles. Yep. That tracks. Skittles. Skittles is a running theme. Let's uh, let's pop out west to Montana. What do you think they're doing <laughs> they out in Montana? Candy in Montana? Twix. They like Twix out there. Uh, Twix is number two. Good call, game. <laughs> Beef jerky. Beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna believe this. It's double bubble gum. They must not like no. chewing gum for very long. Double wow. bubble gum is number one in Montana. Pick wow. another. Pick a couple other states. What do you want to look at? Uh, Texas. What's Texas? Deep in the heart of Texas. What a burger. <laughs> it's Starburst. Starburst. Starburst in Starburst. Texas, followed by See, Reese's this- Cups and then Sour Patch Kids. So we all lived in Kentucky for a while. I was going to say, yeah. Oh. a big blue state. Yeah, okay. But let, I want to guess first. Let's do some guesses. Okay. Chewing tobacco, what, what, bourbon, and some <laughs> Big League Chew, the bubble gum. <laughs> Actually, that's the show up on the list can- anyway. And- um kind of number two is number two on the kentucky list is swedish fish and some of those are blue right yeah mostly red those are so kentucky is kentucky is reese's peanut butter cups followed by swedish fish and hot tamales yes love me some hot tamales Yeah. No, hot sir. tamales Mm-mm. is uh Mm-mm. hot tamales are number one in arizona and north dakota i might have to move there I don't think you'll move there. No. no. Uh, hot, tamales are all, it, hot tamales are also number one in Virginia. Is Hawaii what, have candy if list? I could be... What's that, uh, Hawaii, Hawaii does. Oh. What, do you, what do you think, Gabe? <laughs> it's, uh, Spam! <laughs> uh, something, uh, can you pineapple? imagine going to someone's Starburst. door and saying trick-or-treat and they hand you a can <laughs> of Spam? I'm putting like, Spam... Yeah, next year I'm putting Spam in my trunk when I do trunk-or-treat. We, hey, that we spam a, sushi Gabe and I had was delicious. By we, the had way. A, we had it a dentist on our block growing up, and we'd go to his house and he'd give a for trick or treating, and he'd give us a toothbrush and a pear. I'm like, you are a cruel and unusual mm. person. Mm. Uh, so, Gabe, you asked about Hawaii. It's uh, it's yeah. also like Pennsylvania, Hershey's mini bars, followed by okay. Skittles and Butterfingers. <gasps> Bingo, going to Hawaii for Halloween. Skittles have Skittles been in every state we've mentioned so far. Close somewhere. I don't. Uh, they are the number one in Oklahoma. All right. So if I could be anywhere right now, if I could teleport myself anywhere, it would be um, OBA. So what about Alabama down on our Orange Beach shores? So Alabama is uh, Starburst, Skittles, and candy corn. Ooh. Oh, they had yeah. me until candy. You had me until candy corn. No, but see, they don't <laughs> do candy corn. They do candy so, corn peanut mix. That's what. That's popular. The that's most popular. chocolatey state. Where all three are chocolate is Mississippi. Three Musketeers, Snickers, me. and Butterfinger. Three Musketeers is the top. Three oh, Musketeers, the top of Mississippi. I can't say I understand how Three Musketeers beats out a oh. Snickers. 
I don't understand. Well, you know, a, 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 th- a, a three musketeer is just a Milky Way without the caramel. And a right. Milky Way is just a Snickers without the peanuts. Right. But they charge the same you... price, and I'm really upset about this. <laughs> why would you not get the peanuts and the caramel if you could? I mean, why just the nougat? That doesn't make sense and, to me. And in, in Missouri, Milky Way is the number one. So. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I got to ask two last Joy. Okay. okay. Ohio hey, and hey. Georgia. <laughs> I gotta know. Ohio. A sign of adult maturity is growing to like an almond joy. <laughs> okay, Ohio might blow your mind. It's blow pops. <laughs> what? See, somebody made a weird candy list here. Blow pops yeah. followed by M and M's and Starburst. And you asked about Georgia, number one in Georgia. If we have anybody from Georgia listening, you need therapy. It's <laughs> Swedish Fish, number one. No. 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 Followed by Jolly Ranchers. Yes. Okay. Okay. I did. I do love a Jolly Rancher. Okay. Yeah. That's all for that. Sarah, take us home. Stop. I know. You know, I'm sure listening, you have had so much fun with us tonight. If you ever want to hang out with the Midnight Theology crew, we're actually all going to the Holy Land in spring of 2022. So this is a shameless plug. If you'd like to join us in walking in the places where Jesus walked, we're uh, taking a trip there March 24th through April 2nd, and there's still time to register. Uh, So you can be in touch with any of us and would help to uh, get you plugged in. So be sure to join us next month as we shift gears and begin talking a little bit more about Advent, Christmas, the holidays, um, and where it is that we find um, our theology and sources of hope and inspiration and redemption in them. So make sure to join us then. Thanks for joining us for Midnight Theology. A special thanks to you, George. Uh, We know that you'll be back with us, but thanks for taking the time to be with us tonight. Until next time, let's face it, all the good stuff happens after midnight. See you later.